Welcome to hell. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Jersey Shore Musicians Podcast. I'm Matt. That's Jeff. And tonight we have our good friend, Mr. Jack Pitzer. All right. Also known as Hinge. Hello, I'm Hinge. <laughs> How we doing, brother? Good. It's good. a pleasure and an honor to be here with you guys. Uh, honor's all ours. All ours. Same, same here. We've admired your work for years. I admired working with you for years. <laughs> always a pleasure. Yes. I used to love it when you when you always did sound for useless. That, that was that was the best. That's when we sounded the best. Oh, thank you. That's a real compliment coming from you from you. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> and hopefully we'll do it again. Yeah, oh, hopefully. hopefully. We played yesterday and it was it was, it was interesting. Mm. You know, I'm used to everybody distancing and the masks and then all of a sudden I played a show yesterday. And I mean, there had to be a hundred, hundred and twenty people in this little tiny place. Everybody's all over the place. There's no mask. They're going in and out of the buildings. I'm just like, this is chaos. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be hard to get used to real life yeah. again. It was just like going to be a little adjustment. What it was, period. but it's just like in this time, not having that for so long, it, it just felt strange. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, it was, it was, it was different. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jack, tell us how what got you into doing live sound? Uh, okay. So I grew up as a super nerd. Um, when I was a little kid, I was fascinated by sound. Um, my parents had a thing called a Victrola. It was a tube-powered record player. And when I was about six years old, I didn't like how it sounded. And I took the entire thing apart. It was all over my living room. And um, I actually put it back together just by looking at it. I'm still six years old. And I put it back together, and it sounded better. <laughs> and um, I just, I grew up with a fascination for sound. Um, and as I got older, um, I, I, you know, uh, my nerd world converged with um, smoking pot, getting in the car and playing guitar. <laughs> and um, in around 1976 or 77, um, I went from being a straight A student in my high school to... Um, becoming the Jeff Spicoli of my high school. <laughs> I had long hair, I had a Dodge Charger, I had a piece of shit guitar. Oh, Dodge Charger. And I went to go see my first concert at Convention Hall in Asbury Park. And uh, the band was the Charlie Daniels Band. Oh, that's awesome. And I walked in Convention Hall for the first time with my best friend, and I could not believe what it was like. It was like first concert. Like, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. And at the back of the hall was this platform with this giant thing that looked like the bridge of the starship enterprise and i was looked at that thing and i was like well i don't know what that is but i want to do it and i spent the entire concert watching the sound guy i really didn't care about charlie daniels mm -hmm. <laughs> they were good but i was fascinated by this giant piece of equipment and that's, that's how you're calling that's, yeah that's yeah. how i got started at the very mm -hmm. first show and then i went to go see beatlemania um <laughs> on Broadway and the same thing. There was this amazing mixing board at the back and I was like, oh my God, it sounds so good in here. Wow. And I was hooked. And that's awesome. uh, you know, I, that's that's how I got started. And I played in bands my entire life. I'm, I've been in the same band for 37 years, but I have always leaned more towards playing the band by doing sound than playing in a band. Although yeah. I had some pretty huge successes as a guitar player as well. That's awesome. 
Yeah. That is awesome. You don't hear that every day. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know, I think playing in a band for so long on a fairly high level um, made me a better sound guy because it also put me in touch with what it sounds like on stage for bands. So I, I kind of really spend a lot of time with the sound on stage with monitors and things because mm-hmm. I know what it sounds like on a good sounding stage and a bad sounding stage. So yeah. uh, that's important to me. Just getting that right. That is awesome. That's because you got to experience both ends of it. So you know what you'd want to hear up there. So that's what you want to put out to other people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you're if you're on stage, it should sound like a big rock show, not just out front, but yeah. on stage. And if it sounds like shit on stage, you probably are not going to have a good time, and it's not going to feel like it's sort of like being in a studio and rocking out with headphones on mm-hmm. it's not as fun as playing in yeah. a good show with really yeah. good monitors that, so. and if you have good monitors you're just going to perform that yeah and you better. actually forget that you're on stage you just rock out yeah. so that's that's what which I, like I know to do. you've done great all the time with rope tree we'd be on there i'd be like man i heard everything no problems you know and i do thought you we had remember great the shows. time i did sound for you not too long ago when i kept calling your singer the wrong name no. Yeah, and somebody kept correcting me every time. I forget what I was calling him, but I would say blah, and somebody would go blah. And I must have did it 15 times during the show. <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, that. it was a pretty amazing thing. <laughs> that. Oh, boy, that's funny. That's good. So, okay, so you get that's how you got into it. Let's fast forward a little bit. What was your first um, uh, gig? As a sound person, was it for a band? Was it as a place? Like, were you like uh, so and so's permanent uh, monitor guy? Okay, so around 1980, um, I played in a band that was a Doors cover band. Oh, that's awesome! I was a guitar player in a Doors cover band. Oh, that's great! You were Robbie Krieger. That's great. Yeah, I was Robbie Krieger, <laughs> and um, we bought our own PA system from Red Bank Music. It isn't there anymore. It was actually kind of stolen it was like an illegal pa system because the the bass player traded liquor for the pa system (laughs) and but the problem was nobody knew how to use it Mm -hmm. and we set it up we used to rehearse in a chicken coop in english town and um they set it up in there and it was an enormous pa system you could play a like you know thousand people venue with this thing uh, and it had a giant Soundcraft mixing board. And I taught myself how to do sound. And I would basically hang out there um, all hours of the night playing with the PA system. And I taught myself how to use it. So eventually we morphed into it. Oddly enough, we became a spandex where Judas Priest cover band. Okay. And we <laughs> I still like had, how you led with the spandex. <laughs> yeah. You know, picture this. <laughs> you know, I wish there were pictures to prove it, but it really happened. And um, still had the giant PA system. And uh, I did that until that band fell apart. Um, eventually, I joined an Elvis cover band. Oh, that's awesome. And... Uh, I moved into a, into a place called the Firehouse in Oceanport, which was also a recording studio. And the guy that I replaced who lived there was the original sound guy at the Braden Bar in Long Branch. And he unfortunately passed away from um, a heroin overdose. Mm-hmm. And I threw my hat, my, my hat, you know, I threw something in the hat. No. <laughs> I, I, threw, I threw my name in the hat and I became the house guy at the Braden Bar around 1980, 1981. Okay. And that 
really changed everything because I literally lived there. I got paid a whopping $35 a show and I loved it and I hated the way it sound and I would endlessly crawl around in these big dusty speakers and <laughs> tweak the shit out of it. And um, I was at the Brayden during its most, I think the most exciting years there, you know, like there's a new hardcore scene, there's a punk scene. It was amazing. It was like literally sold out every single night. So I really wow. um, learned my chops at the Brayden Bar. That's I loved good. every minute of it. I mean, you know, I mean, our generation will say is uh, you don't really hear of like the Brighton being sold out every night. Well, now you're not going to hear about it at all. Yeah, it, closed, it was pretty legendary back then. That's something. But you always heard about the Brighton Bar no matter what. Like, so uh, if I'm um, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, you're like, oh, the Brighton Bar, that's cool, man. You know, like, but well, you would go there and you're like, all right. I mean, it, it sounded good. It just didn't have the vibe that everybody always talks about, but you got to actually live it. Well, in the 1980s, the music scene around the Jersey Shore was all cover bands. Okay. Everything was well, cover like bands. like it was now. <laughs> yeah, like Twisted Sister um, was the mm -hmm. biggest thing anywhere. Um, they used to play, Stone Pony was a cover band place. They didn't have original music back in the 80s, really. Wow. Um, every venue was cover bands, and it was like Zeppelin cover bands, Rush cover bands, Pink Floyd cover bands, uh, Rolling Stones cover bands, you know, like um, that's what the scene was. The Brayden Bar, though, was an original venue. And that's like at that time, 1980s, that's when punk rock started out. And, you know, everybody who played there was also playing at CBGBs and City Gardens okay. and all that. So the Brayden, like, had the edge of a lot of places. Like, they were the most original of the rock clubs then. That's all. You know, it's funny too, is you never really hear like the pony was a cover place. Oh yeah. They was, like keep that That's that dark place. past. They don't yeah. like to talk about. That never happened. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Very cool. Thank okay. you for clarifying. My, uh, <laughs> my drummer's brother-in-law, he was in the lemmings and Shovelhead. He plays drums and Shovelhead, he, amazing band. Oh yeah. They, they're phenomenal. But uh, he used to tell us stories all the time about play. Cause he, they lived at the Brighton. They played there all the time. And then I uh, was Tommy Southerd from solace. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're all connected. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay, so after the Brighton, what was next? Well, there was a fateful gig that I got. There was a friend of mine who um, hung out at the Brighton. His name is Gunter Ford. He was the guy who originally signed Metallica. He lives in Rumson. And he had this little company called World Entertainment. And he had Metallica. And he had this band called Morbid Angel, which was one of the first big... American death metal bands. Yeah. Yeah. And he also had this band um, from Bergenfield called Mucky Pup, which was a kind of a funny punk rock band that had some success. They um, won a contest um, to put a song in the comic book, um, the comics called Bloom County. And they they recorded the song and it went out to millions of things and they, they took off. They became a little band that did really well, mostly in Europe. So this guy approached me one day, and he loved how I did sound at the Brayden Bar. He goes, hey, listen, I got a crazy little idea. Everything I ever talked about this guy was a crazy little idea. He goes, <laughs> I got two thoughts for you. He goes, I got this band Morbid Angel, and they need a sound guy for the Ritz in New York City. Or I want you to audition as either a sound guy or the guitar player for this band Mucky Pup. And I was like, all right, I'll do all of them. Because yeah. <laughs> that's the way I was yeah. back then. So he's like, all right, 
So the gig is Friday at um, the Ritz in New York City. I'm shitting in my pants because I had only <laughs> done sound at the Brayden Bar and graduation parties and mm-hmm. yeah, you know things. places where we could take our own PA system on the beach at Sandy Hook, all sorts of stuff. But now I'm going to go to the Ritz, and I had been going to see like Living Color, Husker Du, Soul Asylum. Like, all these bands that were huge at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm like, I'm going to go do sound where I saw Husker Du and Soul Asylum. And I'm like, all right, cool. (laughs) I get there. It's a sold-out show. I meet these guys. They're totally, like, don't talk to us. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I'm confronted with a mixing board that is 14 times bigger than the one at the Brandon Bar with all these gates and compressors. And anyhow, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just leaned back. I went away from the microphone. That's what um, <laughs> And lo and behold, I step up to the plate and I do an amazing job. And I cannot believe I just pulled this off. It was 1,400 people and I killed it. And uh, it was one of the most mind-blowing experiences of my life. First gig in New York City at a major venue. Yeah, and I'm super risk. psyched. That's, and, a, that's a real major venue. Yeah, yeah major yeah. venue. And it also, you know, it became Studio 54. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's still a, a venue. I don't know what it is now, but uh, it was an amazing experience. And that night was also the night that um, Nirvana came out with Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I was driving home from the Ritz, and that came on the radio on WNEW. It was the very first time they ever played it in New York. And... I'm driving down the turnpike, and all of a sudden, this guy, Scott Muni or somebody comes on. He's like, okay, now I'm going to play a song that's got a sound you've never heard before. Because this is going to blow you away. This is a new band called Nirvana. This is called Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I was like, holy shit. Like, you know, I don't know. Maybe to some people, they eventually became cliche because they were so big. Mm -hmm. But if you listen to them the first time it was the most refreshing thing ever mm-hmm. it was so raw and over the top and it ends and the guy goes wow because you know what i'm going to play it again he played it again <laughs> i've never heard that in my entire life a dj in a on big the, radio, radio station yeah. play a song twice in a row and i drove home and that was it and i a day or two later i get a call from this guy gunter ford and he's like well you did a great job uh they, you know, they didn't really like you so much. I was like, oh, crap. You know? <laughs> and he's like, but you did an amazing job. That was the best they ever heard. But you were maybe a little too happy and positive for them. They were kind of gross <laughs> and, I'm, you know, not such nice guys. And I was like, hey, everybody, you know. And I think they wanted somebody who was like, you know, but I'm not like that. And uh, he goes, okay, so here's what we're going to do. I'm gonna. I want you to be the guitar player for Mucky Pup. So I want you to learn these songs, go audition for them. I'm sure you're gonna get it. And uh, rest is history. Uh, next thing you know, I get the audition, and I'm on a plane, and I do my first show as a guitar player with that band with another guitar player in Paris for about four thousand people. Wow. And this band was no, virtually nothing in America, but in Europe they were huge. Huge. Like David Hasselhoff. Yeah, like yeah. David Hasselhoff. <laughs> I actually met David Hasselhoff in Germany. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a whole other story. <laughs> but uh, so I went to Europe, 
And um, I spent the next almost two years touring Europe and all over America with this band. And uh, it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. You know, like, uh, you know, all, I mean, spent three, four months at a time just touring Europe, Germany, Holland, Scandinavia, wow. back and forth. And it was kind of a rough experience for me because they they loved me, but they kind of liked to goof on me, and I kind of had a fragile ego at the time. Mm -hmm. So eventually, I kind of the band fell apart, and then they hired me back as the sound guy, and I was like, "Oh man, go to Europe as a sound guy." I'm like, "All right, I'm in." And uh, next thing you know, I'm on a plane. I'm going back to Europe with them as a sound guy, and. Uh, I did a tour with him as a sound guy, and then I went back with him as a guitar player, but this time we toured with the band Mashuga, and I wound up being the sound guy for Mashuga and playing guitar in Mucky Pub, which oh, was amazing. Okay. It was Mashuga's very first tour. Oh, wow. And okay. that was an amazing experience. I, I was like, I'd never heard anything like that. Wow, Mashuga, so, they're one of a kind. <laughs> so over the top, and they were the nicest guys. One of my favorite experiences of my entire music life was uh, we went out, uh, we were in Finland, and we went out to this log cabin in the woods that had no electricity. Um, but they had solar power before there was solar power. <laughs> this, like, crazy Viking-looking guy. Probably his name was Sven. <laughs> he, uh, he built this battery system, and he built this cabin out in the woods, and we sat in an attic where he told us a story about somebody hung from those rafters, and we listened to Kiss on vinyl. And with Meshuggah. And it was like one of the craziest things I ever did in my life. Wow. Amazing experience. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all those experiences cemented my uh, place in the music world. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So after the touring, I'm trying to get you to that spot where we all know you're from. How did I get to the Saint? That's right. All right. So <laughs> I'm going to get us to the Saint really quick. All right. All right, we're at the same. So after <laughs> after Monkey Pup, um, you know everything fizzled out for about a week or two. My next door neighbor was the sound guy for No Doubt. Oh wow! And he said, "Hey, I know this band. I've got this band that's looking for a sound guy." He goes, "I don't know if you heard of them yet, but they got this song on the radio, and it goes the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire." I'm like, "Oh my god! I heard that song the other day, and it's like I I was driving my car and I heard this song." And I, I was like, I bet you I'm going to wind up doing sound for them. I swear to God, it happened this exact way. Wow. Before he talked to me, I heard that song. I was like, I bet you I'm going to wind up doing sound for that band. Next thing you know, I'm on tour with the Bloodhound Gang for a year. Travel the world. New Zealand, you know, Japan, all of America 15 times, all of Europe, Russia, you know, everything. Get back from that. It's over band monster banger it's like hey you want to go go to europe with us and uh we got this new album coming out called power trip and i did sound from their very first show they knew me from the brighton they were a brighton bar band yeah. mm -hmm. and next thing you know i'm on tour with them for a year of my life unfortunately <laughs> it was not the best experience for me but we did get to tour with um aerosmith van halen uh marilyn manson with hole opening um Rob Zombie, Metallica. Um, unfortunately, I I developed a pretty unhealthy relationship with uh, cocaine mm. and crystal meth on that tour. Uh. And I got fired from that. Oh, we also toured with Megadeth. 
Okay. And a member of um, Megadeth saw me doing lines of meth backstage, and he reported it to the band. And, uh, you know, that was my downfall. And at the end of that tour, we did a show with Metallica in um, Hawaii, and then the next day flew to Alaska and did another show. And I got home from that, and the manager called me up and told me I was fired. Wow. So I'm like, well, what do I do? Um, and I called up my friends, the Bloodhound Gang, and then I spent the next two and a half years on the road with them. And that was when they came out with the song, The Bad Touch, which you might know from the chorus that goes, you and me, baby, ain't wow, nothing okay. but mammals. Mm-hmm. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. And uh, <laughs> that was an enormous hit. They sold nine million year, uh, CDs on that. And I spent the next two and a half years of my life crisscrossing the globe with them. That's awesome. And that was a mind-blowing experience. You know, we lived like rock stars. We had a crew bus and a band bus. Uh, We flew on private jets, you know, played with bands like Ramstein, hung out with them, you know, became, hung out with Tommy Lee. Wow. (laughs) All sorts of crazy shit, you (laughs) know. Uh, it It was an amazing experience. But unfortunately... All good um, things I, come to an end. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, um, I had progressed from um, drugs to having a ripping alcohol problem. Mm. Um, it didn't help that the Bloodhound Gang was um, sponsored by Jägermeister. Oh, and so we had a tour bus that was wrapped in the Jägermeister label. Mm-hmm. And I drank like a fish. And I convinced myself that I have to get out of this business because I actually did see a lot of people die and, you know, ruin their careers. Yeah. And uh, in the year 2000, I was like, that's it. When this tour is over, I'm going to quit the music business and I'm going to go home. And I went home to a basic alcoholic empty life. That was year 2000. And uh, I lived in Allenhurst. And uh, one day I went to do my laundry at a laundromat in Asbury Park. And there was this door open at this club on the corner of um uh you know whatever that corner is there <laughs> whatever that corner but and i see this corner. guy i knew from right another club Street. in asbury <laughs> called um t-bird's cafe which is where the tapatia is now that was where the saint got its start yeah okay. right down the street and i was like hey scott and he's like hey what's happening i was like is that where you're working out he's like yeah come on in and take a look i walked in i was like whoa this is super super cool and he offered me a job and i stayed there for 17 years wow there was a two-year period when i moved to north jersey though um i got a job with a high-end web design company so i moved to bergen county and i um worked in the exciting world of web design for a while and actually designed the band InSync's final website. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, and I did websites. I, I mean, I, I, I came up with the concept. I didn't do all the work, but I came up with the idea. And um, I also did them for um, Dale Earnhardt Incorporated and Martini Racing and Bacardi and all sorts of stuff. Oh, wow. So, And then I came back to, As- I moved to Asbury Park and I was back at the Saint for the next, you know, uh, 15 years. So I was there 17 years in total. That's great. Well, that that was definitely a journey that you just took us on. It was quite, yeah, I left a lot out, but it was a, it's been an exp, you know, I I've been doing sound now for about 40 years. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. 
Right. Sounds like I had a hell of a time. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 I am blessed to have survived it, and um, I have a million stories too numerous to tell in the space <laughs> of this interview. <laughs> well, all right. So, f- speaking on the live sound f- uh, front, what is your t- favorite type of setup for a band? Is it like a three piece, a four piece? Do you like having these full, you know, huge bands, or do you like the small, intimate acoustic type thing? What is your favorite? Your preference? I like metal. You like metal? Okay. <laughs> well, how many piece? Would that be like two guitars, bass, drums, you know, mic and everything? Yeah, I love just... that. I, I, I love, I just love metal. I love, um, uh, I love that. But I'll be honest. I, I mean, I've had experiences where I did ragtime bands. Oh, I've cool. done acoustic things. I've done just one person with an acoustic guitar and had the most amazing night of my life too, you know? That's all. Awesome. But I do, I think I specialize in metal by default. Do you put bottle caps on the kick beater so you really get that tinky? No, you know, one of the things I don't, I'll tell you what I don't do. I, um, so I have the, I, somewhere a couple of years back, I got in, in my head that, well, first off, I think there's a lot of egos in the world of doing sound. Mm-hmm. There's and a lot of egos I, anywhere yeah, in the music. Well, true. anywhere in the music business. But I, I started, yeah, I, I mean, in my travels for years, there was always these douchebag sound guys <laughs> that everybody hated. And they're, they're, it's a caricature. In, in fact, if you go onto YouTube and you type in douchebag sound guy or anything like that, they're normally the sound like five guy's foot an two. <laughs> yeah, you'll find videos of these, you know, they're almost like cartoons, of, and they're usually actors doing it, but it's a stereotype with real-world implications, right? Mm-hmm. And I always didn't want to be that guy. I wanted to be a nice guy. Like, I wanted to... I don't even want to be a nice guy. I just love what I do. And how could you be a douchebag when you're just play, you're playing music. I never understood it. Like, how can you be an angry sound guy, right? So I got into my head that I want to be transparent. Like, and I always thought if I ever did some kind of blog or something about doing sound, I'd call it the art of being invisible. Because if you're really doing a good job at doing sound, nobody knows you're there. Mm-hmm. Like, I've always felt like that. If I'm doing good, like, it's, it's never been about me. Like, I'm at the back of the room. It's what happens up on stage that matters, right? Yeah. And um, I've always felt like I want to. I don't want to color the band. So I, unless something's incredibly heinous, mm-hmm. I leave it as is because I'm not in the head of the guy who's playing the drums or the, like you know. It's like if that's the way you want to sound, then I'm just gonna make it sound, make the way you sound the best it's gonna sound. But I don't change it. Mm-hmm. To make me happy because it's not about me. True. The only time somebody looks at the sound guy is when there's terrible feedback. Yep. (laughs) Or if the vocals turned off. True. True. You know, or the background vocals are off. What's going on, dude? Yeah. (laughs) So my goal is to be invisible. Like I don't want to be. I I never go be. You know, I'm I I'm I never got into the mentality like that the show's all about the kick drum. Like some guy, you go Mm -hmm. to see some shows and all you hear is an amazing kick drum and everything's far below it. (laughs) Like I I try to make it so that it's equally representative 
Of a CD. Yeah, of what the band really sounds like. And I always do my homework. I listen to the band before I go do sound for them. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, because really, I want to know. Like, what, yeah. are you, what are their... Like, I don't know. if It's like, should I put reverb on the vocals? Should I put delay on the vocals? Should they be dry? Should... You know, I, I listen to what they sound like and I try to replicate it live. Okay, that's actually really nice of you. And even even more useless, don't. like we've had numerous sound guys tell us that, you know, we don't even mic you because you, you've seen that we, we roll deep. And they're like, we, we, we mic the kick drum, the snare, and the vocals, and that's it. But you you sat there and put mics on everything and tweaked everything and made, made it sound phenomenal. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> I tried my best. We talk about it all the time, too. It's, it's You have that passion for your craft. Some guys just do it because they're getting their paycheck. You do it because you love to do it. So the guys with the paycheck, they're the douchebags. Yeah. One thing I will say, though, when it comes to doing live sound, like the hardest thing to get to sound good that I think is the most misunderstood is the drums. I think that you really have to, like, I, I, on, on the um, Bloodhound tour, the Monster Bang and Mucky Pup tours, I was also the drum tech. Mm-hmm. And I learned to badly play the drums but also like pay attention to real drum techs and like what drums are supposed to sound like so i learned how to tune them and like like placement and shit like that. yeah it's like there's something about like bad sounding live drums ruin the whole mix that's that's you know and because you gotta, they gotta the sound they gotta sound semi-produced you know yeah. but i'm 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 not over the top with that it's like it just got to, my thing is low end. I really like low end. I like people to be able to feel it. Yeah. So it's not loud. Like, yeah. I don't think a rock show needs to be super loud. I think if the low end is there, you could feel it down here, then that's the way it's supposed to be. Like, lots of low end. So you can feel it and then everything floats on top. Yeah, you know? no, that's definitely a, yeah, that's a good my way philosophy. to look at it. Yeah, no, and it worked. So, yeah, <laughs> for sure. <clears throat> what was the most amount of mics you've used on a show and let's stick with not like a touring act let's stick with like the brighton or the saint or something some very local this okay is i'll Jersey tell you Shore. the most crazy thing i ever did with sound was um the drummer terry bozio mm-hmm. have you guys ever heard of him he played at the at the saint and he had the world's largest drum set he had nine kick drums like 34 toms. I'm, I'm making this up, but well, it's, it, this is approximate. Like yeah. We had to bring in an extra stage. He had all his own mics. He had a sub mixer. Every mic, every drum had a trigger on it. Oh my God. Um, so, and we had a 32 channel mixer at the time. And I used every single channel of that. <laughs> and that included his sub mixing everything down from. Mm. Like must have been like fifty inputs down to like sixteen for me too. Wow! So that was the biggest one I ever did. And the funny thing is, um, first off, I thought he was going to be a douchebag, but he was one of the nicest guys I ever met. Do you have he, to be if you're going to come in with that? Yeah, and he played orchestral <laughs> drums. It wasn't like you know, listen to my drum solos; they were all tuned to notes. So we mm. play it like orchestral. So it was like music. It yeah. was like a class. It was like classical music and. It was very specific. He said, no gates, no compressors, no subwoofers. Subwoofers had to be turned off. Wow. Yeah. He's like, the, my, my kick drums in the room are good enough. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And there was another sound guy there. He goes, I would have turned, turned on the subwoofers. I was like, 
he would have known. Like this guy, yeah. he played with Frank Zappa, yeah. Missing Persons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if, if, if the guy on the stage says legend. don't do it, you know, just, so just I, don't I, do it. That's one of the <laughs> things is, that, like about not being a douchebag sound guy. I don't know better than the artist. If he said, I want it to be like this, I'm not going to second guess him. Right? You make it the yeah. best this that it, that it can be. Yeah, he wanted it his way, and I did it his way, and it was amazing. And his wife was there, and she said, best show of the tour. <laughs> Oh wow! So hey, you know that's a, that's big a good tip cr- to the critique. Hat. Yeah, you're doing something right. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite effect to use? Whether it's on a vocal, a guitar, a snare, reverb, reverb. Yeah, for a long time it was delay on vocals. Mm-hmm. Probably because I grew up in the um, Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, oh, okay, um, Rob Halford era. Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought there there was a period when I was very heavy handed with delay on vocals. And um, it was because I grew up with all those like stoner rock kind of, you know, like, like Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, like all that stuff. And I thought that that was the coolest thing. Like the first time I heard that on a record or live, I was like, whoa, that's amazing. It's like the you know, voice keeps going on and on. But eventually it became reverb. Okay. And I love reverb. Like, um, you, you know, that band um, um, Lower the Veil. Mm-hmm. They have this one song. This is one of the times when I went out of my comfort zone and I actually tried to alter their sound line. <laughs> and they had this one song where it goes, dun, 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 and the, dr- the snare's like, Pow. and so every four beats, whenever he would hit the snare on the fourth beat, I put the, the darkest, biggest, cavernous reverb and they looked at me like, holy shit. I was like, if you ever do this song on a record, you got to do it this way. <laughs> it was ma- It was so sinister sounding. Okay. But if there's something about reverb, like whether it's tight and small mm-hmm. or ambient or... Well, let's get a little tactical then for those of us that kind of understand. Was it more of a, a hall, a room, a plate, a spring... It's it's you. I don't like springs and I don't like plates. I like room, rooms the Room. most and okay. halls. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, when you go out to do your shows for a live sound, is there a specific tool or something that you would want? Like, what is your go-to thing that like I must have this if I'm going to do this job? What would that be for you? Headphones. Headphones. Yeah. Okay. Now you might ask me why. Uh, well, I would so why, why headphones? All right, I'll tell you that, you know, I'm not so much of a geek about microphones or anything. Mm-hmm. I I could do an entire show with this particular microphone, which is, to me, the, the gold standard. Mm-hmm. You can buy a million different kinds of mics, but you could do an entire show with 58s, and that's how it got started. And there was a reason why this is the most popular vocal mic in the world. This Very is a true. Jada 58. Yeah. Uh, but, uh so headphones so sometime in that tour in the world part of my life um i started doing these radio shows they're called radio shows they're um in stadiums like the meadowlands or you know the um, veteran stadium in philadelphia or la stadium in los angeles um, i did all those big giant stadiums with like you know twenty, thirty thousand people right mm-hmm. and the thing that's interesting about them is when you do a radio show, you don't do a live sound check. You do a headphone-only sound check. Mm-hmm. And they, they won't let you go live. They might let you, just for your ego, like 
put the kick drum live for a second, but it's a it's a strict rule, like no, and it's because the radio shows like you don't want somebody going like check one two while like the local radio personalities in that stadium on a microphone mm-hmm. talking to the people in the radio. Yeah, doing the banter yeah. in between everything. So you yeah. get used to doing a headphone only sound check. And it's an amazing thing because you get that incredible isolation if you have really good headphones. I like Sennheiser, and um, I became really good at it. I could do the entire show, and when I would, you know, when you unmute everything live, it would always sound pristine and perfect. And I, I grew to to really love headphones. And during a show, I am constantly soloing the band in my headphones. I'm listening for what's bleeding in there. If there's like you know, if there's, if I can hear a lot of guitar in the vocal mic, if, you know, like whatever it is, I'm trying to clean it up. I'm right, trying to gotcha. clean it up. And that's what I use headphones for. And that's the key to how I do live sound. Um, I, said I spend a pretty significant portion of live shows on headphones. Okay. And so- also I like, you know what I love about it is, let's take The Saint, for example. So there's a velvet curtain there, right? Mm-hmm. And who wants to hear me talking to the guy on the other side of the curtain? Like, you know, can you hear your, you know, how's the monitors or the drummer? How's it back there? Like, when I would be talking to the people on stage as they're doing their sound check, I'm not listening through to the PA in the room. Just people are hanging out, talking to each other, drinking, socializing, having fun. Mm-hmm. They don't need to hear check one, two, and all this crap, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'm talking to them with headphones. And most people don't realize that it's it was such a normal thing for me that people never would notice it. And plus, I think that um, you need to give the audience a break between bands. Yeah, you sure. Like they don't need you to can't hear constant barrage time, for yeah. four hours yeah. of like, uh, like you know. So yeah, I would say that my my favorite tool in doing sound is a good pair of headphones. Ooh, that's a very good way to do it. Now that brings me up to that for the next generation of let's say sound engineers and stuff. What would be a good tip? For you to leave for them. Never say I can't. Okay. Bug, don't be a pain in the ass, but watch. Like, I would say going to school. There's a great school here in Ocean County that's run by one of the other sound guys from the, the Saint. Um, but there's nothing, nothing beats learning by doing. Mm-hmm. Like, you can learn how to do anything by watching YouTube videos nowadays. Oh, yeah. True. I don't care what it is. I'm a homeowner. 90% of the stuff I've done as a homeowner I've done by watching on YouTube. Um, how do you think we set up this podcast? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, that's why we're sitting here right now. That's how True. I learn how to do my day job, which is software testing. Like, when I don't know how to do something, I'm learning, currently teaching myself um, automation and testing. I watch YouTube videos. Okay. You know, and um, it's an amazing thing. But I'd say never say I can't. Always have a positive attitude. Be willing to accept any job to get your your um, foot in the door. That's a good tip. Anything. Yeah. You know, be the door guy. Be the light guy. Be, you know, to hang out with the and And if the sound guy is approachable, ask him if he can hang out with you and watch what you do. You know, anybody ever ask you that? Oh, a million people. Okay. Uh, you know, there's a a lot of people and I'm, you know, I'm, I move really fast, but, um, I'm willing to teach anybody how to do what I do, you know, but always be excited about it and really listen to music. Like what I always tell sound people is that 
if you're going to do it really well, don't be a dick, first off. Never be a fucking dick. Don't be that guy. Yeah, never be a dick. And one of the things that I, when I try to explain this to people that don't understand what sound people do is, is that you scan it while you're listening. So a show is going on. This is what I do. I'm listening to the overall sound of the band, but I'm kind of scanning it like, where's the kick drum? Where's the snare drum? Where's the hi-hat? Where's the vocal? Where's the reverb? Where's the, like, the the whole show. It's like going around and around in my head. Like, start listening to things critically and try to pick them out. Mm-hmm. And try to figure out where they exist in in the frequency spectrum, you know. So you narrow what's going into the what's coming out of the mic down. Mm-hmm. Like the hi hat mic doesn't have to be taking in a lot of low end and stuff. Like mm-hmm. how to clean it up. Like try to listen to it critically and isolate things in your in your head. Like while you're listening to them. And I, to me, that helps make you be a better sound guy or right. girl. That's a good tip. Even just me as a musician, when I listen to like a, someone gives me a new record and I listen, you know, to a band I've never listened, first like two or three times through, I barely even hear the vocals. Like I'm so focused in on the guitars or the bass or the drums, I kind of listen to things in pieces. And then after I've grasped everything, then it kind of comes together as a whole. I started out like um, when I when I was in um, I, I went to college at Brookdale, and I took a course called the Art of Record Production. Um, I'm never, I'm a, I'm not a studio guy. I don't like the studio. I, I don't like recording and I don't like playing in the studio. I, I like the immediacy of live sound, but during that time, this is, um, I graduated in 1982 and, um, I also listened to a lot of diverse music, classical. I don't care what it is like Nashville, like anything like there's, even if you don't like it, listen to it because one day you might be doing sound for it. But, um, Two of the, a couple of things that really influenced me was um, first I was listening to Peter Gabriel, and we came out with his f- biggest early recording. It was the one with Shock the Monkey on it, and it was called Peter Gabriel. And what was unique about that is there were zero symbols on it. And I used to read interviews really? with wow, him, that's weird. and the people that produced it, um, and they talked about, well, we wanted it to be so the ambience. Like the sizzle on the guitars and on Peter's vocal, the whisperiness. Like if you listen to the vocals on that, there's nuances you, you don't hear anyplace else. And I, that's where I kind of got that critical listening thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing. Go back and listen to that rec- recording someday. Go find the one Chalk the Monkey on it and listen to it through headphones. It's freaking amazing. Well, Metallica's yeah. got that album with no bass on it too. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy, right? Yeah. The guy Thomas Dolby, you guys ever listen, hear of him? Yeah. He had a song called Blinded by Science back in the 1990s. Yeah. It's like, blinded me with science. He, he was like, he, he was one of the guys who helped invent cell phones. Oh, Has God. nothing to do with Dolby. His name just happens to be <laughs> yeah. Thomas Dolby. I hear Dolby, I go right to sound. It's like surround sound. <laughs> but his recordings were what I would refer to as ear candy. And if you listen to him, these sounds that were going on in there, were freaking amazing like get excited about the world like the world of sound like listen with your eyes closed like all those things like get rid of your other senses and really listen and uh you know that's that's what i do to this day really well that's great good tip so the unfortunate part of this 
little podcast that we have to go I have through. to pay you? No, oh, no. We okay. have to pay you, actually. No, you don't. Um, I don't like talking about it, but it is a fact that we are going through a pandemic with COVID. We all know how it affected bands and stuff. How did it affect your profession? Besides shutting things down, but what is like the vibe? What do you feel? What do you get like out of the uh, the music scene now? Is there like a, a resurgence to want to come back right away? Or is this something where it's like, well, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll get to it. You know, musicians are lazy. Let's face it. We are. Well, a couple of thoughts about that. Um, I felt a lot of despair when it first happened last March. I, uh, I did my last show at the Saint, and by Tuesday of that week, we were locked down. Like I, my, I went from my office to work at home, and I, you know, I immediately was like, I think I, I told my wife this a million times. I think I think I just did my last ever sound gig, you know, because I saw that this was a weighty thing. I didn't think this was going to be easy, and obviously it wasn't. Like, yeah, no. You know, and here we are over a year later. Yeah, and know? it's still. I mean, you look at what's going on in India. It's horrifying. You know, like they are really struggling there. And uh, I, I just read today that the variant that's spreading there is now here. Oh, so we don't know what's going to happen here now. Yeah. You know, I mean, but that being said, um, for me personally, there was a moment of like real like, well, at first I was like, I think I did my last sound gig. And then I was like, well, maybe I did. And maybe that's a good thing. I've done it for 40 years. Like maybe it's time to put my headphones away yeah. <laughs> and uh but i didn't want to throw in the towel I, I i um i uh what happened to me is i learned the value of being a really good husband um spending time with my wife quieting down a quieter life became really appealing fairly quickly i i actually really liked it i i, I liked it but i still had this gnawing sense of like I'm missing my creative outlet. And um, that was your drive for how many years? You know? Yeah, it, it was just, it was like, you know, it was, it was like everything else that you do a lot, like riding a bike, you know, yeah. or walking, or it was just, it, it's what I am. It's what I do, yeah. right? Part of you, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but I, you know, I was like, you know, I think I had enough. Like, I think I, and I, then I got to the point of acceptance because, you know, um, the opposite of acceptance is anxiety, and I don't do well with anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, I got the opportunity to go do sound at the Brayden, and I did sound for the final seven shows at the Brayden before it went out of business from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's tragic. That place was there for 50 years. Um, I did sound for the very time. last show, the very last band. Wow. So the last la last hit of a snare drum at the Brighton was me. Wow. And uh, I had said to a number of people that, you know, it would be really eloquent if I can end my sound career where it started. And I thought that was it. I thought I actually had done it. You know, yeah. I, I, I left there. That Mission sound. accomplished, yeah. I, I was like, I think I actually did it. I ended my, and then, you know, I found out the Brighton was closed, end of the road. And uh, just recently, I found out that Scott at the Saint wants me back. So I'm going to be back at the Saint when we reopen. Now, what's going to happen in the future? It depends. I think it depends how your values changed in the last year. 
do you want to go out and see shows or did you find that being at home and a quieter, slower life appeals to you? Like, it's a little, it's a lot of both. Like, I love being at home with my wife and our giant dog, mm-hmm. Scout. See, our, our Scout. thing is too that we've been asking people is, do you think it's even going to come back anywhere near where it was? Like, how many clubs are actually going to come back? A lot didn't. A lot aren't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be a shell of its former self. But then you look at, you know, there's shows that, like these giant festivals with Nine Inch Nails and Metallica. and They don't come know, to this region? They're not coming to this region. Yeah, they never do. No, no. but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, in the meantime, our home theaters have gotten better. I don't know about yeah. you guys, <laughs> but, you know, um, my wife bought us this amazing giant TV and we got a, you know, uh, Polk Audio soundbar. Nice. And it's pretty amazing to watch stuff at home in the comfort of our own yeah. home without, without bumping into people and... I have to admit, YouTube was my friend in that, you know, really solid three months where it was like, hey, there's nothing. You don't even want to go out. I, I looked up all my favorite bands and all of a sudden you're seeing shows from like the 90s, the 70s. I'm like, wow, man, this this wasn't on here before. <laughs> you know, it was really cool. Yeah, I guess the question is, is, is different really that bad? You know, I think we're, we're programmed to... Get used to something, and then when it's gone, we either mourn for it or we accept where we're at. You adapt, you know? yeah, and you find new things. I mm. I love my life right now. If I don't do sound again, I'll be fine. All right. Well, here this is one I've been asking people too. Is if just to put it out there, an idea I keep floating out there I was say this is uh, as a sound guy. Do you think that clubs for those people that aren't going to want to start going back out, like you said, if they're comfortable in that quiet life? You offer like a $10 ticket to stream it online instead of going to the club. What's your opinion on that as a sound guy? Yeah, you'd have to integrate And say, you all still have people that show up, buy tickets, and go to the show, but you can also have a setup in the bar where you could pay a $10 online fee and just watch a live stream as well from sitting, in your, sitting on your couch. I think it increases the size of your audience. I think people are still going to want to go to live shows, though. Oh, yeah, but I'm saying, but you, then you're catering to both, off, all, yeah, you know, I both think, audiences. Yeah, I think that I think we're... You know, learning how to live a more online life. Don't tell Scott we want this. We're gonna make. We're gonna patent this now. Don't tell <laughs> yeah, Scott. I, I think there's. A, I, I told These videos Scott have that years yet. ago. I had this whole idea at the Saint to. I mean, years ago, I was like, you know, we should like do live streaming here, and I, I, I told him one day, I was like, you know, we could. The nerd in me said we could take a camera, right? and get like a model car, like a railroad track, right? And put it on the ceiling and mount like an upside down model railroad car and have a camera hanging off of it so it could move back and forth. Oh, yeah. Like we could put tracks up there and like, you know, and I was like, we should do this. Like, you know, there's like these, this one streaming thing by Roland that's an all-in-one box for streaming video. We could have like five. Now you can, you can get a free program and put it on your Mac or your, you know, PC laptop yeah. and do the same thing. But yeah, I mean, I think it opens up the world, you know, your audience is instead of 30 people. Because like I said, you're going to have those people that are going to show up to the club and drink, you know, and hang out. But you're also going to have people that just don't want to be, like you said, they want that quiet life. They don't want to be in that mess of people anymore. And that, 
I think that's one way for them to try to bounce back from this. Yeah, and I think it's going to be okay. And I think it's it, there's a value in it. I, I, I like it. I, I watch stuff that's streaming. I yeah. like it. Or even if you, you got other stuff going on and you just can't make it, but you really want to see that show. You just 10 bucks online, pay it, boom. You pop it up on your TV. Yeah, I think it's the future. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We, we don't we have don't the little ball going, hey. I mean, yeah. the thing is, I think we, if we accept it now, we're prepared for when something like this happens again. Because I don't think we've gone through our last pandemic. Uh, no, but what? The last one was 100 years ago. Yeah. That was, but we don't know. Like, yeah, that's they, the thing. they also meddle with viruses a lot more well, these yeah, days. I so. <laughs> well, I, you know, without getting too out there, I think that... I think we are powerless over nature. I, I, I think we try to control it, and we we build houses to live in, and we do all the. But you, you saw what happened during Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. You yeah, know, Hurricane Sandy hit, well, you know, right a mile that, that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, nature is going to bite us in the ass. It's it's happened many times before. You know, it's well, like there's no stopping it either. But the thing is, if we perfect this, what we're doing right now, and that. You know, we're, I think, we, you know, we can keep the arts alive a lot more. Oh, yeah. yeah for sure. I think this helped when the arts got put down. And I say put down in a nice way that there's no shows. There's no nothing. You know, people didn't even want to get together. And you did this. You got Zoom or whatever the other uh, things that you could talk to people online. That became kind of huge. So there are tools, I think, in the making. I think if you can get something where you can record with your bandmate in a different spot oh, yeah. live or in real time, that will be a game changer. But yeah. I don't know how you would do that. It's I'm, possible. I'm sure it is, but there's got to be something with the internet because if you want it in real time, like we could ship tracks yeah, back and in forth In order to do now. it in real time, you'd have to have some kind of like cloud-based system where you're all sending a signal to it at one time. Yeah. There is something that's doing that. I don't know what it's called, <coughs> but there, there is. It's like... it. it it adds an equal amount of latency. Okay. So it's not, it, it's real time, but there's a, it, it takes latency, which is, you know, the delay of, you know, let's just call it the processing delay, how mm-hmm. fast the internet is and how fast your device is. Yeah, and everybody's going to have different internet speeds. And it adds, a, it adds that in, in advance, I believe. And then it adds, it adds or subtracts it in real time to equalize everything. Okay. It's sort of like a, a speed control. Gotcha. For, I think that's how it works. I could be making it up. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, that's something to work but, for for the yeah. next one, I guess. <laughs> Whenever the next But in the one. meantime, you know, do you want to learn to play the cello? Learn to play the cello. You know, oh, you want to yeah. learn to play piano? Play piano. You know, do something different, yeah. you know? I mean, there's a lot of people that bought guitars. Yeah. over this and you know the guys saying our stores are like we sold out of fenders yeah fender had its best quarter ever yeah you well, know what so. was eric saying on our last the one episode he, was he said that the 2020 was fender's best year ever as a company yeah. i don't doubt it as and a company fender. and they've been around a long time yeah, and you figure in, in where everybody else is struggling they had their best financial year ever mm. that yeah. doesn't surprise me no people trying to pick up an art you know that's great yeah. now as things open up and go back to work and life starts settling back in, see how many people stick with the art. That's the question yeah. for the future. I uh, like working on my house. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do. You know, I live in uh, I live in beautiful Leisure Village West in beautiful Manchester, New Jersey, and I bought my own home. And uh, my, my beautiful wife, Julie, and my giant dog, Scout, and I live there, and we have made it like the most awesome 
avant-garde five-star hotel ever. It's That's beautiful. Awesome. And Good we did it you. ourselves with YouTube videos and Google. That's great. Good for you guys. I'm happy for you. You got that. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't. Oh, by the way, I would like to mention that I am um, I am also no longer a drug addict and I am 100% sober for ah, five years. Congratulations. That's and great. It's the Keep best it thing. It's one of the best things I ever did in my life. Keep That's awesome, up. man. Keep that up. That's great. Yeah. Uh, we just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, the Stuck Up Sticker Company. Uh, my man Ian, he's a great guy. Ian McKenzie Smith. Yes, okay. one of the same. <laughs> yes, he's he's a, he's a great guy. He's my bass player, one of my good friends, and uh, for uh, sponsoring the podcast. He said that uh, you just you just tell him you heard about him here. He'll give you ten percent off your first order. You can find him at stuckupstickers.com. He can print stickers, banners, stage banners, you know, postcards. You, you if you could print it, he could do it. Nice. Yep. Very cool. All right. So, last question of the night for you. And this is, I mean, you could take it, you know, globally on a music scene if you really want to, but we're talking pretty much just the Jersey music scene. There's one thing you could change about the entire music scene. What would it be and why? Wow. <laughs> right? Oh, that's, if there's that's one. a doozy. This is going to take a second. Yeah, go ahead. Take your time. <laughs> take your time. It's not something you can just blurt out because I've, I've gotten several very good answers for it. You could take it as a musician because I know you've played in bands. You could take it as a sound guy. You could take it however you want. Take One thing you could change about the music scene and why. Hmm. That's an interesting question. Well, uh, this is going to sound... Mm, Maybe slightly. All right. Well, I, I've thought about this a lot, actually, and um, it has to do with being a sober guy. Is that um, so? Music globally, and I think it goes back even to medieval times, has always been connected with alcohol. That's a party, right? Mm, That's yeah. the way it goes. I think I would like to see more venues that are not bars. Say a drive venue. How do you like that? Drive, drive venues. venues. Like, not, even for all, someone who wants to just go experience but, but the music. Like, they, with real production, like a Saint or Starland or the Stone, Stone Putty, does it always have to, you know, because there's a lot of people out there that are like me who don't drink or do drugs but would love to go see music but they can't because they're afraid to go out to bars oh, that's a good point you yeah. know so but I, you know if I would say I would like to see more venues that are not drinking establishments yeah so it's more focused on the music and not the yeah, party yeah like I, I'll tell you what for me um, it, it's hard to believe um, <laughs> that uh, knowing the physics of the way our ears work when you're drinking like music sounds better sober than it does drunk believe it or not and most people will disagree with me and <laughs> i'm willing to fight them on it well but, i think it get the alcohol gives certain non-musical people rhythm that they never had they're, they're, <laughs> you know you know and listen if if it makes you feel something then you might feel something more than music i'm i I am. I have nothing against drinking or doing drugs. I, I was a professional level pothead for forty <laughs> years. I have been to you know Amsterdam like thirty something times. I I know my shit about weed. Uh, 
I was a dealer. I know all that. I listened to music on every kind of drug under the planet, uh, under the sun. You know, um, I even did sound like falling down drunk in arenas and stuff. But now that I'm a sober guy, I hear music differently. It's like it's clean. It's like I hear it. Like I can hear it. I don't know how to explain it. So yeah, I would like to see more opportunities for people that might not want to party and be around people partying to listen to music. Yeah, because I'd say at least the vast majority of people, they're not going out to see music. They're going out to have a good time. Right. You know, as we're like people like us, when we go to things like that, we want to see the music and the band and we pay attention to everything. And most people are just there for, yeah, have a couple drinks. Yeah. Have a, oh, can have I a good say time. one other thing? Go right ahead. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it brings me to my one number one pet peeve. Okay. Shut the fuck up when you're at a show. Just stop talking, especially when you're in an acoustic show. Oh, jeez, oh, yeah. that's got to be the worst. I love acoustic music. I do. I love it. Like, I love a good acoustic act. Like, you know, like I, a, a singer-songwriter who's got an acoustic guitar and a voice or, you know, bluegrass or anything that's quiet. Like, I like loud music, but I also like quiet music. Mm. I like when you're in a room with 50 people and it's drop-dead silence. You can hear a pin drop. Yeah. But there's always this one person or people that are drunk off their ass and they're just like, meh, 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 Hammering away, yeah. I just one quick story about that. I did sound for this guy named David Johansson twice at the Brighton Bar. You guys know who that is? No. He was the lead singer of the New York Dolls, oh, okay. which was a seminal, you know, punk band yeah. in the seventies. Yeah. Um, a lot of you know they they were super famous, and he he kind of looks like Mick Jagger, and he did an acoustic show at the Brighton Bar, and people paid twenty five dollars a ticket to sit in the front behind the velvet rope. Okay. And there's all these other people behind the velvet rope. And this one guy was next to me. And him and his girlfriend, he got in for free. And he was just like the whole entire show. He's like, meh, 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 meh. And people who paid $25 are turning around, looking at him like they want to kill him. Mm. And I said, dude, and I know this guy I said, dude, you have to shut the fuck up. The show <laughs> is up there. It's not you. And your girlfriend, he's like, he looked at me like he wanted to kick my ass. And I finally lied to him, which I do not recommend. I said, you see that little thing up on the wall right above your head? That's a microphone. I'm recording this show. Uh, and it wasn't. It was like a, it, like it was like an outlet or something. But I, I'm trying to get this guy to be quiet. And he looked at me like he wanted to kill me. But the moral of this story is sometimes get off your phone and shut the fuck up and watch the band. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think people appreciate, do, I, appreciate what's going on in front I of you. I think people are rude at shows, oh. I, particularly in New Jersey. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, people go to shows and they just are like, meh, 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 meh. I think I people it. are it's rude in Jersey just in general. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I feel that the younger generations don't care as much no. about music. So that's why, like, it goes to like, well, we're going to hang out and you just happen to be here, so we'll just deal with you. It and can be the older generation too, though. Really? I had shows at the Saint where there were... Well, here's what happens with older people sometimes. They haven't been out to clubs in a long time mm -hmm. and say they're older, like <laughs> me. I'm going to be 60 next week. 
and they don't know how to act at a rock club and they get wasted and they're like you know, this like, guy talks and then I he actually, talks louder than he yeah, talks I had louder an, I had an old guy at the Saint one sick his son after me because I told him to shut up at an acoustic show oh, and wow. I said it politely I, I went up to him I said excuse me sir there's an artist that plays at the Saint a lot called Rick Barry he's one of my good friends mm-hmm. and uh, we actually it got so bad that he made business cards to give out to people at the door. Like, this is a no talking show. Uh, you probably heard that at the Saint. Like, there's even a little sign. Yeah, I remember saying so that. So, it was a Rick Barry show, record release show. There was like packed wall to wall people. And this guy behind me is with his drunken son, and they're like, bah, 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 bah. and everybody's looking at him. And I went over to him and I said, Sir, I said, show's going to be over in about 20 minutes. You know, if you want to talk, you can go out into the back or you can just be quiet. But, like, let's enjoy this quiet experience together. <laughs> He's like, fuck you. And I was like, all right. I said, I'm going to be over here. You're there. Like, there's like five songs left. And, and then finally, I, I went over to him. I was like, please, I can ask you to leave. I will have you removed if you don't stop because you're really distracting. Mm-hmm. And his son's there. And his son went like this to me, he goes, and I was like, what are you, I laughed in his face. I was like, what are you going to do? You know? And uh, it's it just really rude. I think, yeah. you know, so old people can be poorly behaved too. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's just a thing. You know, there's, there's, or maybe the, it's just the booze. I, I don't know. I guess we'll never know. We'll, we'll, we'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah. And we can't control what people do. True. And we can't change anybody else. Yeah. yeah, that's true too. And if we, you know, if we get full of resentments, we're, you know, then we're having a bad time. That's the thing. Now, I realize that. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm getting frustrated at the guy here, I'm not paying attention over there either. Uh, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Like, so I got to I gotta check myself and try to avoid getting resentments yeah. and distractions too. You know, there's an art to it. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, well, uh, thanks for coming out, man. Yes, thanks. Well, thank you for thank inviting you for the story. me. This yeah, was really great. fun. We appreciate it. And uh, it, was, it was a good one. We got some, we got some good yeah. stuff. Well, thank you very much. All right, well, uh, tune in next Monday for the next episode of the Jersey Shore Musicians Podcast. Peace out.